You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, you're in for a real treat. I got to sit down with Brian Sanders. Brian is not only an amazingly kind and smart human, he is also the podcast host of Peak Human Podcast, which I was honored to be a guest on recently. He also may be better known by his Instagram handle, Food Lies, which is an incredible account. And he is about to launch a six-part documentary series that he's been working on for the past few years by the same name, Food Lies. I've recently seen the preview on YouTube and on his website at foodlies.org, and it is mind-blowing. We sat down and talked about all the food lies that you've been fed over the past several decades. We discussed big food, big pharma, and big agriculture, and how they're basically all in bed together. You know how much I love dropping the truth bombs, and this episode's going to blow your mind. Let's jump in. Brian Sanders, I am so excited to have you on the show today. I was honored to be a guest on your show recently and got to know you a little bit better and it was so fun. So now it's my turn to pick your brain and ask you all the questions. Would you be so kind as to introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely. Yeah. My name is Brian Sanders. Yeah. My podcast is Pete Human. Oh, wow. Quick story. So I started as a mechanical engineer. So that's my background. I think that was great actually to have that kind of technical background. And we looked at the root cause of problems and we had to think like systems approach and how do we figure this out? I think the best part was there was no dogma around it. There was no like, oh, well, this is, you know, my thoughts about uh, vegan diets are healthy. (laughs) There was no uh, preconceived notions. You're just like, okay, well, what's the problem and how do we solve it? And so that, that was my background. Uh, I did that for many years, got into tech. And then that's when the story gets sad. Uh, I turned 30, lost both my parents, and became a dad bod guy all at the same time. You know, it's kind of that that time of people's lives when they can't eat whatever they want anymore. And maybe they do start to see some weight gain. And then they start to complain, oh, yeah, I have all these problems. I had acid reflux. I had joint pain. I had allergies. I had extra fat. I had all these like little problems that I thought were just part of getting older and zoom ahead. They all went away when I just changed my diet a little bit, but um, also had my parents. And so they weren't super old. They were a little older for nor- than, you know, normal parents. Cause they were both just a little bit older. They're both kind of on their second, second marriages. And they, uh, my dad had cancer and my mom had Alzheimer's and they just went through their life eating the food pyramid diet, doing what we're told. I grew up on the food pyramid diet. I continued that into my 20s and it's how my problems persisted. Uh, yeah, they just had all the symptoms of prediabetes. No one told them. I look back now and I can see it. You know, I know the signs now and I and I can, it's, it's like a certainty. And no one told them anything. And they just kept eating low-fat chicken, uh, pasta, whole grains, avoided red meat. I mean, it was word for word what we we're supposed to do. I remember it. It was a big deal to go out for a meal, big deal to go to McDonald's like once a month. It, you know, we were just doing the, the, the right things, following the plan and getting sicker. So about seven years ago, I woke up, eight years ago now, I woke up, changed my life and wanted to tell the world. And then I saw a vegan film five years ago and just said enough with normal jobs. I'm going to quit everything, live on my savings and try to make this film. Didn't have a plan, didn't make money for a couple of years. And I just kind of eats by on savings and, and then everything else came from that. So oh, finally, <laughs> finally getting uh, some places with the film and we released, we released the intro actually that we spent over a year making just the intro, just on the side. It's not like that's the only thing we're doing, but handmade every single shot that's on the Food Lies YouTube channel. Highly recommend checking it out. Yeah, I just saw it last night. So I found you, I think right prior to the pandemic starting, I found your account through a mutual friend, uh, someone who says that uh, Caitlin Kalstein, she knows Mm. you and she she coached with me. And Mm. I thought, 
God, this guy just like says it how it is, you know, and I say it how it is. And I don't see that often. And I don't really know how else to say things. I, I try really hard to people who know me know how hard I am curating my words when I post. And there you were just like gunning it out with the truth. And I was so impressed. I was like, this guy's amazing. And I followed you. Like, I think we were pretty in lockstep during the early stages of the pandemic. I mean, I think we still are, but it was just, you know, you were one of those accounts I looked to for verification that I was, you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm holding down the line on the truth here. And there's a few others doing it too. So that was always really inspiring to me. And then got to be on your podcast. I've listened to a few episodes of your podcast. And then last night I saw the preview to this film and I was like, yes, <laughs> so excited. So I want to hear all about this. This is, this is amazing. So what is this film about and when is it coming out? Like give the down low. Yeah. Well, it's a long process. So it's just, it's just two of us. It's me and a guy that I started making films with in high school who became an amazing director and editor. We travel around the world. We went to Africa. The opening shot is me in Tanzania with a bunch of Maasai kids. Uh, we, we're going all out to make the best health film ever made. I'll put that out there. Um, there there's been some kind of decent films, like maybe Michael Pollan has made some okay films that are just like middle of the road, like, oh, eat more plants. And you know, it's like <laughs> kind of old bogus information. Uh, there's been a lot of vegan films that have had high budgets and, you know, James Cameron producing the game changers and took seven years and millions of dollars. And we're just two guys with some money we put together on Indiegogo. And uh, yeah, we're trying to finish it by the end of the year, but we are going all out. It is full quality. We handmade every single shot of that intro. And I just got off a meeting actually with our art director slash motion graphics guy who's one of the only other guys we have on a team. We have a custom composer too, so we're doing a custom score. We're doing everything. It it actually turned into a six-part series. So we just have so much to say. It went from a film to a documentary series. And I think that's even better to get on Netflix, which is the ultimate goal. Get this seen by millions of people, change their life, just get all the nutrition dogma out of the equation and just look at the truth. Back to the engineering stuff, right? What is it that humans should eat? Like, screw all this vegan propaganda, screw even carnivore stuff. People are like, you can only do carnivore. If you eat a piece of fruit, you're going to die. You know, there's like <laughs> both sides. It's, it's just like so extreme. And oh, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> just trying to make something where people get it, right? They sit, sit down, watch the six episodes, and they're like, oh my God, I get it. I love that. Yeah. You know, I've been in medicine a long time and uh, I'm older than I look. And I, just can't believe the dogma around nutrition. It's just so, I, I try really hard not to, you know, I talk about metabolic health a lot, but I try really hard not to talk about food because people freak the fuck out about food. And then they're like, well, how do you eat? And I, and you know, I'm like, it's irrelevant how I eat. I eat according, I, I'm very in tuned with my body and I eat according to how, what makes me feel best and what makes me feel most nutritiously sound. And I've done wrong versions of it before, you know, I've bought into the dogma and I've, I've, uh, some of, I, I was looking back at some photos, some of the times when I was the most lean, I was living off of tons of cruciferous raw vegetables. Mm -mm. <laughs> and I look back and I'm like, no wonder I was so lean. I was dying. <laughs> I was literally like malnourished to the max, you know, and now I, I eat a lot of beef. I eat some fruit. Oh my God. I eat some honey mm -hmm. and I eat some dairy. I eat what makes me feel good. And I, uh, as long as, you know, I, I always say, as long as I feel juicy, my joints feel juicy. Mm -hmm. Cause that's one of the things that start to glom up on people. That was what I specialized in was joint uh, health for people. And as long as my libido's good, my sleep's good and my gut's good, my bowel movements are happy and healthy. I, and my blood work looks, you know, enviable. I figure I'm on the right path, but why is it that people have to have, all my patients would do this. They'd be like, I need a book. I need something specific. And I'm like, just turn your instincts on and eat real food. That looks like where it came from. Why is this dogma here? Like what is with people in their alliance to a particular way of eating? What do you think? I love to think about that. That's is what keeps me up at night. I've studied all angles of this. I'm trying to be kind of the overarching view of things. I call it camp, no camp too, where I'm just 
I don't want to be in a dietary camp. I want to look at them all. I want to know what makes people tick. I want to know why they, yeah, they get so obsessed with this. It's like their personality is based around their diet or their self, you know, it's like their self identification. And, and I mean, that's especially true with the vegan. So I get that they, they're usually people that I found that, and I have looked into this a lot, that they have trauma in their past, right? And they have some sort of abuse in the past. And I think one of the, the leading ideas is that they, they can have some sense of control to protect animals because they were not protected growing up, right? So they can make these decisions and they get ult, like ultra obsessed with the animals. When throughout history, we've always relied on animals as food and we respected the animals and we've honored them. And we, you know, we would even like say prayers for them and thank them and eat them. And this was the circle of life and everyone got it right? It's like, yes, this is how we live for something to live. Something must die. It was very clear. And then we started being separated from nature. So I guess that's kind of the answer to your question. I'm kind of leading there is being separated from nature is a lot of the answers to why, uh, why this stuff happens and why people get so obsessed with diet is because we're disconnected from food. We're disconnected from nature. We're living in cities. We, uh, I think all the big forces and big companies around us are the biggest driver of that disconnection because they benefit from us being disconnected from nature. The more disconnected we are, the more they sell us sick care system, pharmaceutical products, fake foods, and all the rest, right? So for, for their foods to be good, their processed foods to be good, your natural whole foods need to be bad. And it's like, it's bewildering when you think about it sometimes when you kind of just like shake your head and just pretend you're an alien or pretend you, you know, you haven't gone through the propaganda in the past 60 years. You're like, Oh, these people think that like meat is bad for them. They think that eggs like are, have too much cholesterol in them. They think salt is going to kill them. This thing that we've always just had, you know, these simple foods and dairy fat, all these things that we've always cherished, that we've sought after fruit. We've always cherished and sought after fruit. And these people are just thinking that this stuff is going to kill them. And the only way it makes sense is if you have the propaganda machine of big food, big pharma, and all the big government systems to push them that way. It doesn't make any other sense unless they, they were pushed that way. Because even say 60 years ago, it's a bit of arbitrary uh, time period. But even, you know, you look back 1950s, 1960s, people were in shape, generally healthy. They started smoking a lot. They're like smoking cigarettes, like in their baby's nursery. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But other than that, and they were eating like Crisco and margarine and stuff like that. But you know, that was just starting to come in, but they were, they were eating big roasts, big beef roasts for dinner. You know, everyone looked great on the beach. It was like a whole different world. There was none of this propaganda out there. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit going in circles, but it is all connected of like why this has happened and, it, and the story of big money, big food, big pharma. And it's a story of being disconnected from nature. And now, yeah, people kind of self-identify with their diet. And it just, I, I don't know, we've like run out of things to, to like, I don't know, feel good about or, or identify with or be proud of. And so it's just, to come to you just like, oh, well, this is how I eat. And I'm morally superior to you because I eat this or I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird time. I think you're not wrong. You know, I think, I think people are missing purpose in their life and community and aligning to a particular dietary dogma gives them both, right? Especially with the online space, like it gives them community, it gives them alliance to a herd and it gives them to a group, you know, that humans naturally seek and it gives them some purpose in their life. And it is weird. I mean, they go hardcore in all directions. Like, you know, there's, I mean, a hardcore keto person is almost as bad as a hardcore vegan to me. It's just so dogmatic, you know, and it's, it's really bewildering. And I've never gone hardcore into one or another diet. I've sort of dabbled in them all and I've used them as tools when necessary. Like I really like going on a high beef only diet when my, for say digestive issues or inflammatory bowel disease or any kind of autoimmune flare. It's been really helpful clinically I've seen and I've been doing that for a long time. Like that was long before there was a term for it. Uh, putting people into some kind of paleo diet long before there was a term for it, you know, just taking grains out, taking, I, I remember being a kid and having an old timey doctor tell me to cut all white foods 
basically getting starches and refined carbohydrates out of my diet and sugars, refined sugars. And I mean, brilliant, you know, because I was getting plagued with asthma as a little kid. And I, I never back then did I think that people would become so dogmatic as they are today. It's been interesting. I grew up in Southern California and I was born in the early 70s. And so I, um, I saw, I remember going on the beach and people being, most generally people being just in good shape, you know, like people were generally in good physical condition. And fast forward into my career, I ended up doing mostly musculoskeletal medicine. So I put my hands on everybody. So I can just look at somebody and tell you the integrity of their tissues. I can just tell you based on just literally passing them by if they're healthy or not, or if they're metabolically sound, just by the integrity of their tissues. Cause I've touched so many humans and I remember everybody having really good turgor in their tissues. Maybe their water was structured. I don't know, but they were in good physical condition generally. Now, when I look at a beach full of people, everyone looks like they're melting off their skeletons whether they're obese or not, they're just, they're generally obese and they're melting off their skeletons. And I was in Australia a couple of years ago, not too long ago. And I looked at my best friend who I'd grown up with in Southern California. And I was like, oh my gosh, the people on this beach look like all the people on the beach when we were kids in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Something was different in the food supply that was not impacting them the same as in the United States. <clears throat> that we're, So, I mean, it's like, I can see it, you know, and it's, I can also see it in Canada. They're about a generation behind on the adulteration of their food supply. And so you can see it in their intellect, in their cognition, in their behavior, in their in tissue integrity. It's the Canadians in chiropractic college all were in better shape than the Americans. Just period. <laughs> Generally speaking, it's, it's so interesting to me. So I'm sure with your travels, did you see some of this? Like now that I'm explaining mm-hmm. it, like, do you see, like, what did you see when you're in Tanzania and such? Like, tell me about that. Oh, you're right on. And I think there's, there's generally like three to four stages of how far behind they are from the U S and I've definitely been to Australia and yes, generally a lot better shape. Then, so I think, I think the UK is along with us though. The the UK is like right along with the US and there's some other just really westernized English speaking countries that are really on the same page as some other speaking countries too. Depends on where you go because I've been to South America. I've been all over. I think it just depends on, yeah, how far they've gone into the modernization of their food and the agriculture and like, you know, how many like glyphosate, how many tons of glyphosate. Let's just but you can kind of see it happen. And then uh, as you go out further, I mean, some, some people in Europe, they're still doing the ancient grains and actually fermenting them and actually like sprouting them and not monocropping them with glyphosate. And yeah, they're doing okay. They're doing fine. And, and they're not uh, doing all other bad habits that Americans have. And then getting to Tanzania, then they're, they're even one more steps removed where they actually look pretty great over there. I went a year and a half ago. It was peak COVID kind of. And it was interesting because they just didn't do COVID over there. They're just like, nah, nah, we're not doing it. <laughs> like they didn't even know what it was. The president just was like, no, we're not going to do it. And everyone was fine. They they were stuffed in vans and and trains and cars. Like we were right along with them. No, no one had a mask. No one knew anything about it. And everyone was great. Visit the hospitals, empty hospitals, went to the clinics, empty clinics. It wasn't like, oh, well, there's a pile of bodies somewhere. So little side story, but they were, they were like healthy. I think that's, uh, there's many things to that story about why they did okay with COVID. But I think some of it is they didn't have all the modern foods yet. They didn't have all the modern disease yet. And so they, they could be fine. And then what's interesting is that president of Tanzania was one of the five presidents that got killed who Mm -hmm. wasn't going along with the COVID narrative. So super interesting, mysteriously died. I don't know. Uh, and so, I, so that was interesting to see generally, even in the cities, right? They weren't doing too bad until they got a little older. And I noticed in Uganda, they they uh, had some of these oils, they had these cooking oils in like Gatorade bottles. And they were, so they ate all whole foods plus these like cooking oils. And I noticed that some of these women, once they turned around, like the perimenopausal women would become obese. And so... And, and they didn't have any fast food. They didn't have any processed foods in Uganda. So I think what they had is like some of these grains were coming in and some of the oils were coming in. So it was just interesting to see that, that I think that really did catch up to these people. And 
the, like there was no real other explanation for why the once these women turned 45 or 50, they became obese because they didn't have any processed foods and they worked outside and they were, they're doing all the right things, but they had these, they were like frying everything in these, these cooking oils, these strange seed oils. So the last step of that was when we went outside the cities into the, the villages and the hunter, the actual like hunting and gathering tribes and the Maasai, you know, these pastoralists, then that was the furthest away from disease. You know, these were four steps removed from the U S and amazing health, amazing teeth, large jaws, perfect teeth, no cavities. They, we asked them questions. We had a great translator and we would ask them questions like, do you ever have back pain? They're like, no. And then we kept asking them, do they have any pain? They're like, oh yeah. Like this guy fell out of a tree and he got hurt. We're like, no, 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 no. Like other than that, did they, they're like, no, they're like, do you have problems with period? No. Pregnancy? No. Easiest thing. You know, everything. They're just like, no, no. Like, what are you talking about? Like they had no idea that um, like we had so many problems because we were trying to explain to them, like, this is very abnormal. You know, you're like 65 and you have none of these problems. You don't have arthritis. You're not, you're not, you're not sick. You're not overweight. And it, it was just amazing that when you get far enough out where they're just eating the real foods, they seemed fine. They don't have the chronic degenerative illnesses that we have. They're more nomadic too, right? They're more hunter-gatherer societies versus agricultural societies. The, the Maasai are pastoral. So they move around with their cattle. And so, yes, they move around and they could maybe live somewhere for only like six months and then they'll find some new grass. And then the Maasai are, you know, actual hunter-gatherers that go out and hunt food. But yeah, we did actually stop by some of the agricultural villages. This is really interesting. We had this thing where we got all the elders together and we, we were doing it for the film and they were in bad shape. So they had, they, they had very limited access to animal foods and all they had was like kind of like corn and just like, it was just like, I don't know, just cheap crops like corn and fruit and uh, ugali, which is just made from like corn flour and water. And they were in bad shape completely yeah. different from the people who were, yes, nomadic or hunter-gatherers. Yeah, I think it's the advent of agriculture when we started to see osteoarthritis in the timeline of human evolution, you know, and people don't want to put two and two together on that one, but it's it's there. So my background was all regenerative injection therapies and musculoskeletal medicine. So I, that's what I saw all day long was busted up joints, right? And I firmly believe and came to realize long ago that osteoarthritis and osteoporosis are diabetes of the joints and bones straight up. Like this isn't about wear and tear. Yes. When you get a joint in a chronic inflammatory condition and it starts to wear down, yes, it becomes a wear and tear issue because, you know, you, you mess up the ecosystem in there. You mess up the, uh, the cellular microenvironment and things start to break down more readily with weight and with wear and tear. But at the end of the day, this is a metabolic you know, situation and their bones and joints show it. Their synovium of their joint capsules when they're very metabolically unsound is thickened and painful. And when the needle traverses it, I can feel it and they will, you know, obviously like stiffen up. So I came to all these conclusions early on and nobody wanted to talk with me about it because all the other orthopedic docs were like, no, you know, you're just making, you're, I was like the token naturopath in the regenerative medicine community. So they're like, hey, naturopath, what do you think about this? And I'm like, I think it's all diabetes and seed oils. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people didn't want to hear that because they thought, they thought, you know, well, we got to sell them something. We got to sell them the $3,000 stem cell package. And I'm like, if you extract their highly inflamed fat from their body to process and make their stem cells and concentrate them down and shoot them into their highly inflamed joint, you're going to have a hot mess on your hands. And that is America in a nutshell. Like even their fat would be gristly when you go to harvest their fat and, and liposuction it out. Like it's gristly and crunchy. And I knew immediately when I got into their fat layer, if this was going to be like, basically if I shot this into their knees, their knees were going to get inflamed and swell up. So it's just a total mess and you can see it. I haven't traveled nearly as extensively as you have, but even when I've gone down to do like medical brigades in the Yucatan Peninsula, where we were dealing with Mayan people, like they were so Mayan that we had to have Mexican translators come in and translate the Mayan into Spanish and then into English. 
And uh, they just had tremendous joint degeneration. And same thing, like fit and healthy until right around menopause. And then lots of degeneration and adipose in the midsection. And I think a lot of that had to do with the corn and the maize. And, you know, the U.S. has subsidized the corn crops down there in Monsanto and, you know, going back to what you were originally saying with the glyphosate. So, Well, the grain, I think the, the grain, the corn is a grain, and that is a huge story. It, it's So you mentioned like diabetes and inflammation and uh, seed oils. But I think grains are a huge part of that too. It's sort of like a third thing. And, I, and I've done a lot of interviews about this stuff with Dr. Bill Schindler. He's a great guy. He's a paleoanthropologist, archaeologist. He travels the world, studies all this stuff. And he'll tell you a lot about maize and Mayans and all this, where throughout history, they actually would use nishtamalization, which is spelled nixtamalization, which is a, you just use a, a, a alkaline solution, like a lime to... Uh, get out the anti-nutrients. It's about like the the phytates that block the absorption of um, thiamine. I think it's it's niacin, niacin. Sorry, niacin. So there's these certain B vitamins that are not able to be used if you don't do that um, nixtamalization process. So now, so they used to do that, and they used to be okay. Now they don't do that. Pretty much, is you know, it, it's not really done unless you go to a really traditional society. And so I think that's a big problem. And those the chips and things were fried in lard and now they're fried in seed oils. And you're absolutely right. Like cassava root, lots of root vegetables have high levels of anti-nutrients that will deplete you quickly of your B vitamins in multiple cases. And um, I actually suffered from it when I was a teenager. I, God only knows, I mean, my sordid past, but I decided when I was 12 that I was just going to live off chips and nasty cheese whiz, you know, cheese. Mm -hmm. My dad was a food distributor and he worked... Uh, he would bring home these big canisters of that fake cheese that you'd get at like 7-Eleven, you know, the 7-Eleven yeah. nachos. And I would make myself nachos every day with corn chips and this nasty cheese. And that's pretty much what I, and then we'd go to the beach, my best friend and I, and we'd eat the same thing there. And we'd go to 7-Eleven and eat the same thing there. Mm. And I gave myself a massive B vitamin deficiency. And I got these terrible ulcerating cracks right where my lips meet, right in the angle of my lips. And nobody could figure it out. Like the the orthodontist couldn't figure it out. The dentist couldn't figure it out. Nobody could figure it out. Everybody. And then they got infected. It was a big mess. Mm. And it was finally my chiropractor. He was like, you have a B vitamin deficiency. And it was so severe. I was getting, I mean, you only read about that stuff now in the nutrition books, right? And there I was living it. It's crazy. So another great person I've interviewed is Mark Shasker. He wrote The Dorito Effect, which is an amazing book talking about how the fake flavorings and how it's tricking our bodies into thinking we're getting nutrients, but we're not. And then he wrote a second book called The End of Craving. And it's, the whole beginning of the book is about pellagra, which is this niacin deficiency, and we yeah. couldn't figure it out. And people were having all these problems and their teeth were falling out, all these different things. And they thought it was viral. They couldn't figure out if it was spreading through you know, the air and they finally figured out it was, yeah, it's because you, you aren't getting enough of these B vitamins because of the highly processed foods and not doing them correctly. And that was in the late 80s. I can only imagine how bad it's gotten now. This episode of The Dr. Tina Show is brought to you by my personal line of products that you can find inside my online store. My number one selling product is Easily Relax Tonic. What is Relax Tonic? Relax Tonic is an innovative powdered drink mix that reminds me a whole lot of the cherry flavored Kool-Aid I drank as a kid. Only this Kool-Aid won't brainwash you and might actually help you make better decisions. It contains a blend of ingredients that promotes a relaxed mood by supporting the body's natural neurotransmitter balance and neuronal stabilization. It contains the inhibitory neurotransmitter GABA, supports hormonal balance, healthy blood pressure levels already within normal range, and healthy glucose metabolism. Relax Tonic aims to promote a calm, relaxed, well-balanced emotional and physiologic state. While I can't make any specific health claims, tell you how to dose it, or make individual health recommendations, I can tell you how they work. As always, check with your provider before beginning any supplement regimen. Listeners to The Dr. Tina Show can enjoy 10% off Relax Tonic by using the code RELAX10 in all capital letters over inside my store at store.drtina.com. That's D-R-T-Y-N-A. Again, head to store.drtina.com and be sure to use code RELAX10 for 10% off. And then we have high fructose corn syrup. So let's talk about that because I think that's a definite addition to this conversation. 
Well, yeah, I mean, well, I, I just put them all into the same basket. It's the high fructose corn syrup, the seed oils, and the refined grains. And, and those three, I mean, you could say the high fructose corn syrup is like a, a added sugar. These things, I think, are the root of all the problems. And the funny thing is that in the mainstream, they blame it on meat. So it's like we have these three highly processed ingredients that we've never had in the human diet. We've never had, yeah, high fructose corn syrup, seed oils, or just improperly refined grains with glyphosate on them forever. Like this, these are brand new things. These come into the diet, everyone gets fat and sick, and they blame it on the meat that we've always eaten. So that's kind of actually the whole thesis of the film. It's Well, the six-part series, it's we, and we have to tell the whole story of human evolution and, and why humans need animal foods and why we need animal fat and why, you know, animal protein is more bioavailable and more complete. So we go on the whole journey, but really the, the conclusion is, hey, we're, we're fighting the wrong enemy. It's like, if, if you have all the, and I know why we're fighting the wrong enemy, because the big food companies want you to buy their fake food. And so they're, they're purposely confusing people. And it's a smokescreen, right? It's a scapegoat. It's this huge, it's like the biggest conspiracy ever that's real. It's not a conspiracy. It's like, they are blaming animal foods for the problems caused by their highly processed foods. They stuff these foods with the three ingredients we mentioned, the highly refined ingredients, they make a whole ton of money on those because it's super cheap to add those and process out and whole foods are super expensive and they make tons of money. They then have money to do all the lobbying and marketing to keep these in the diet or keep us in the dark that they're the problem. And then they blame it on foods we've always eaten. It's like dead simple. Like we could just explain this in five minutes and but no one understands this, right? It's like the whole right. world. If I, I could just tell this story. It's like, hey guys, we've always eaten animal foods, and and people are you're you're being lied to. Even the the climate stuff, the the, the think that cows are causing problems is insane. Yep, it's insane that like just think about it for two seconds. Just think about hundreds million buffalo roaming the plains. This is how the planes even exist is because the symbiotic cycle of nature of the buffalo and the different aurochs and you know early cattle type animals and other ruminant animals and giant megafauna that used to be there would eat the grass and yes they would belch out methane and it was fine and it was part of a cycle and it went up into the air and it got converted to co2 and then the plants and the grass soaked up that co2 to live and it's an amazing cycle and it's all good and now these people these people, the establishment, whatever you want to call these people, all the big industries have convinced you that that's the problem. It's insane. It's absolutely bonkers. No, I'm with you. I, And I was keen to this years before COVID. So watching people wake up, you know, during this process has been frustrating for me because I'm glad they're waking up, but I'm like, it's a little late guys, you know, and then seeing how easily everybody was so bamboozled during this. I mean, that everyone's so shocked and I'm not shocked at all because I was sitting here 10 years ago, 15 years ago, understanding what you just explained and just got like watching. I never in a million years thought it would come to this and it would get this bad. But, um, you know, my, my assistant said something the other day, she's been very active in the, um, childhood vaccine world and, mm -hmm long before COVID, right? And she said, what we are potentially dealing with right now is a group of people who are young adults and adults who were vaccine injured many, many years ago. And we are seeing, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, when these, when like my daughter's 22, so were she to be vaccine injured, she's an adult at this point. And so there's a lot of people making a lot of noise in that age group all over social media and they're the ones that get the attention, but we're potentially dealing with a lot of adults who are somewhere on the spectrum and or vaccine injured. And I mean, no disrespect for on that at all. I just, it's the reality of the situation. And then you add in decades of big food, hijacking the food system, which big foods in bed with big pharma. So it makes permanent, 
customers for big pharma. It's all a big cycle that people are just now starting to realize. I, I made a post the other day on my meme account that said, you can either understand history or you can trust the government, but you can't do both. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? how old were you when you woke up? And the responses are shocking. People should go. It's Dr. Tina official. Go look at that meme and look at the responses because a lot of people said like in their 40s and 50s. Mm. They're like, I just woke up or I woke up when I was this age. And I was like, dude, I woke up when I was 14 and I was pissed off, (laughs) pissed off. And I have been pissed off since. And so a lot of what I present on out into the world on these platforms is like the residual of decades of me being pissed off watching people get hosed and they just can't see it. They've been completely programmed exactly the way that they wanted us so that now that we're here, we just accept Big Daddy Pharma. Like, please, Big Daddy, give me more boosters because that's the brains are pithed. And, and, and the you know, for the freedom fighters out there and for the libertarians, I want to say this. You can't actually be standing for medical autonomy if you're sucking down Big Brother's food. If you're living off of soda and fast food, but you're over here flying your American flag, screaming freedom, you are living out of balance. That is not how it works because this shit hijacks your brain, right? Like it hijacks all your systems. It does. It's all designed this way. And yeah, it took me a while to piece it together. I got kind of red pilled on the food stuff like eight, you know, nine years ago, but I didn't put it all together until I guess COVID. I guess that's when it really all came together. And this is how it's designed. And and yeah, you know, what's interesting too is the quote red pill crowd. So yeah, there's a lot of people that are half red pilled, but yeah, they're still eating processed foods or they're red pilled, but they're vegan. And they think, oh, well, I'm going against the man. I'm vegan. I'm like, no, 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 you, you got half of it. But uh, yeah, it's great to find the crowd that has kind of all all the different p- pieces of the puzzle, which, right. which there isn't that many. Here in Austin, there is a lot of them, actually. It's great. <laughs> I live in zombie land. Don't come to Oregon. It's like... Oh. Absolutely. It's wild. And I was just up in Kirkland. I was on Mike Mutzel's podcast and I love the, I love the Pacific Northwest. I love the Puget Sound area. The Puget Sound is like magical, magical native land, magical orca land, magical. And I knew we were in trouble when a few years ago, well, many years ago, um, the orcas started dying pretty aggressively. Mm. And they were dying from diseases that I was seeing in my naturopathic career that humans were dying from, like heavy metal toxicity and things like that. And then they just flat out were getting starved. They're getting starved out right now. The resident whales are, but I was like, we're in trouble. (laughs) Something is coming. The orcas are dying. Like, this is not good, you know? And it was so weird being up there at Whole Foods, just lots of dead eyes, people disconnected from their souls, you know, masked up, very similar to Portland. It's Mm. It's wild. And I, I kind of always, um, I've kind of always radiated to folks who seem to, like you said, like kind of our full red pill, you know, mm-hmm. but they also embody physically what it's like to be healthy. You can just look at them and they exude vitality. And that's something important in naturopathic medicine that we talk about is vitality. It's this idea, it's the vis naturi, it's like the healing power of nature. But it, when we look at people's vital signs, two extra vital signs that I always assess in patients are muscle mass and vitality. And when I say that, I mean like, and you'll get this when you look at someone, are they in black or white, in white, black or white, black and white, or are they in color, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? And if they're in color, like what level of technicolor are they? And do they look like they're exuding sunshine out of their beautiful radiant bodies? Or do they look like they're shriveling and dying? And you can see that just upon glancing at people, you can assess their vitality quickly. And I would say the vitality here in the Pacific Northwest is so creepily low. I mean, it's just like steps away from zombie. I've been there many times. I think part of it is not enough vitamin D, (laughs) not enough sun, and too much wokeness, maybe too much um, plant-based stuff. And the opposite I see in Austin, I had an event. I actually have a physical location now in Austin. This is like my life's goal to bring everyone together and just not be online. Like, let's do this in person. Let's have an event. Let's, you know, create community, create a tribe. I have you like if you had a vitality meter, it would have broken. It was insane. We had over a hundred people. The it was like out the door. Every single person, healthy, tan, muscled, <laughs> radiating energy, alive. We were eating meat. We had a giant beef leg uh, that we cooked, and it, it was just a sight to be seen. 
I love it. You got to invite me next time. I'll be there. We'll have some events. So there is a little backstory. We almost had a, a second sort of freedom rally type of event and you were going to be a part of it and it didn't happen. But now, actually, I got kicked out of the first venue that I had it at. I had one with JP Sears and Zuby, both amazing people, you know, spreading the good word. We got kicked out. They said, you are no longer welcome here. We did not like the content. This was last time, a full year ago. Uh, so now I have my own venue. So we'll have That's another amazing. event. amazing. You, you, are, you are absolutely welcome. I can't wait. Oh, I would love it. I, I just like being in the room with folks like that because it's, I feel like there is actually a, an all out war against healthy people at this point. I know that sounds crazy and it sounds elitist and I, I hate to say it. I, I saw it years ago when I saw, um, I remember Rob Wolf speaking out several years ago about uh, a friend of his getting fit shamed, basically fit shamed mm. for being fit online. And I was like, that's a thing. And they really have come for us in the last few years. And I, I just like to hear a little bit about your experience because like I said, your, your Instagram food lies was, you know, you were gunning in the beginning of all of this, like I was trying to get the truth out there about metabolic health and food and just how this is driving this pandemic really. And a lot of people came at me and I'm not sure why, because I have other friends who were saying the same thing that did not get the same amount of vitriol, but a lot of people came at me fat shaming. I got called all the isms. I got mm -hmm. called everything. And, and it was like this, if there's a small section of people, so here's information that's valuable to humans that would help a lot of people. And it's empowering. And it's the truth about basic biology of human beings. And should I not share it? Because like maybe a very small percentage of people can't take advantage of it. So therefore, should I keep my mouth shut? Because that was the that was what they were trying to do. They were like, if I would talk about muscle being healthy and being necessary, they'd say, what about quadriplegics? It was all these what about isms. Like, what was your experience through this? I, I feel like it's calmed down, but I'd love to hear what your, because I have PTSD from it, to be honest. It, no, I thought I was going to get canceled. Yeah. Like I know multiple people that just got completely thrown off the internet for talking about this stuff. I got a strike on YouTube. I was shout out banned on Instagram. I got a lot of it just from trolls or just people commenting. But yeah, I kind of, I, I, I think I, I held my ground and there's just different ways to talk about it too. And I got better at presenting this information where I say, you know, this is a truth about, you know, we can't have an obese woman on the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue and say that it's healthy. It said, this is healthy. Like it is insane. Like I like, so then I, I start out my posts, like nobody should ever fat shame. Like this is not something we need to do. We cannot shame someone for being fat but we can say it's not healthy. We can talk about medical truth. We can talk about this linear correlation with basically how much extra fat you have, the earlier death you have, more disease. It's a very linear thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I always try to use the scientific route and sometimes it backfires and and, and sometimes it doesn't, but I, I don't know. I don't care about what other people think. I, I'm glad even Bill Maher, you know, this sort of guy that I don't really agree with all the time was beating this drum the entire time. And he was just standing up and saying, it is not healthy to be fat. We cannot glorify obesity. We need to have people take health into their own hands. He said all these messages, great. He's like, why didn't we tell everyone, hey, there's COVID has a problem with obese people and type two diabetes. And if you have all these, you know, complications and different ailments, why didn't we do that? There could have been an entire national campaign for eating real food and exercising, going outside and all this stuff. And no one said a thing. It's amazing. Uh, the amount of people who could have been saved is I think in the hundreds of thousands, if that, that, that messaging had come out and what, and it was direct. Did you notice that? I mean, I was directly being silenced. They did not want that message out there. It was a full frontal attack anytime I'd bring it up. And lots of, uh, I, I posted Bill Mayer's video and immediately was met with racism. You're racist, you're racist. And I was like, what? Like how, how are those even related? I, I understand that there are racial disparities and economic disparities, but like, it just was crazy town calmed down significantly upon inauguration of Biden. Once he was inaugurated, things got much calmer. And I did find out that some of these big accounts that were after us uh, were shills for the left. I found that out through people who work in government and went and researched it. But 
really it was a it was an interesting time to live through i think you and i were one of maybe half a dozen maybe a dozen people who were really holding the line on the in those early days and refused to back down and it was met with serious like i don't even know what the word is it was it's hard to describe to others because they would never have experienced anything like that like we were literally fighting a machine it was a coordinated attack yes it was a coordinated attack shout out to metabolic mike mike mutzel Shout out to JB Sears, Zuby. Yeah, I mean, there's a few people that just kept going. And I mean, some other people didn't make it, you know, like they actually got their account taken down and that's their livelihood, you know? And it, so it was risky. I still had to, I still had to play it a little closer to the vest than I'd like to, because I still am trying to get this film on Netflix or this right. series. So I still, I, I see it. And speaking of that, there's uh, another film, Sacred Cow, Rob Wolf and Diana Rogers. They made this and it wasn't, it wasn't accepted by Netflix, and I don't know why. There, there. It could just be they didn't want it, or they lowballed them, and you know they just like gave them too low an offer. Where they're like, "What do you mean? We spent you know five years and like hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you're offering us nothing?" Which is I hear yeah. what Netflix does. But basically, or they didn't want this pro meat content on their kind of plant based platform. I think that's it. I think that's it 100%. I think there's a lot of people, you you hear this messaging from many people that their information is, uh, well, just uh, Michaela Peterson, Jordan Peterson's daughter, she just had her TED Talk rejected. Mm. And she shared about it on her Instagram. She has the lion's diet on Instagram. And she shared that she's going to release it herself because it was pro meat. I mean, she literally lives off meat and salt. Nothing else. There's no nothing else. So she filmed it and then it got rejected or what happened? She filmed it. She went and did the TED Talk, presented it live on a stage and they rejected it. And But yet she shared all these other TED Talks that were approved that were very pro-vegan and pro-vegetarian. And she followed their guidelines to a T because she knew they were very, she was very careful. I would invite people to go check that out because she just got her, uh, and she's saying the same thing. She's like, there is definitely a pro-vegetarian, pro-vegan agenda here. And she was rejected. She she believes out of just the topic of it. Well, there, I don't know how much content you've done on this, on the like going back and looking at the history of this agenda and why this is all happening, because I'm super fascinated by it. I did a presentation recently called Exposing the Trillion Dollar Agenda Against Red Meat. And the money is just part of it. You know, it's actually goes way beyond money. And you have to dig a lot to go through it. And because it was always confusing me, like, why is everything so backwards? Or like, why, like, how do these, why is every single university like the most like complete leftist, like, to the point of insanity. Like, is that, that can't be accidental. And then I looked into just the, the Rockefeller organizations and like how they shaped the medical schools and, and the education system. There's a great book called The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. Um, there, it's a free PDF. You can find it online. Charlotte Iserby wrote it. It's kind of just like a fact. It's not much of a book. It's just like a documentation of hundreds of, like a hundred years of how these big interests made the world that we see today. It's so interesting, like, because like, why is every school like on the same page, like beating the same drum, like every university, every, every institution is just so coordinated. It doesn't make any sense unless it was on purpose. And then you see that well, you, you can put all the pieces together of, like you said, big pharma, well, big food, it's all connected with, and it's all connected even more with these other big groups that have been kind of controlling the narrative and controlling the money and controlling public perception. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I sound like a crazy person, but I guess I'm in the right place. I'm on Dr. Tim's <laughs> podcast. You're at the right people. There yeah. was a there was a documentary that Jerry Garcia's wife made many years ago called The Future of Food. Have you seen that? Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. It's a documentary. It's great. It's about Monsanto. And I saw it when I was in naturopathic medical school and I was ringing the alarm, trying to tell everybody about it. I was like, oh my God. I mean, they were already at that point subsidizing corn in Mexico for cheaper than the Mexicans could grow it. And this is how they took over ancestral corn, right? And now it's all Monsanto corn. And basically the argument was 
he who owns the food supply owns the world. And Monsanto was gunning for it. And I distinctly remember my friends and family being like, oh, Tina, you're just getting so excited about school. You're getting too, it's, you're too, it's too much, like calm down. I was throwing away my Teflon. I mean, I was full on. Like I was like, I, I, I woke up hard, harder than I'd been awake. I was like, oh shit, there's a lot to be done here. I got to clean up my house. And uh, 10 years later, my mom sending me emails about Monsanto and the evils of Monsanto. And I was like, mom, it's mm -hmm. too late. It's too late. Like, I don't want to hear about it. I tried to tell you 10 years ago, nobody wanted to hear it. Everybody called me a conspiracy theorist. I feel very much the same right now. Like I have very much been trying to ring the bell on just the basic. I had a personal trainer chew me out today via email. And she was like, you need to stay in your lane. You're a naturopathic doctor. You don't know anything about virology or immunology because I wrote a blog post on my Substack about what I think is going to be coming down the chute here and why I'm concerned. And she's like, mRNA does not alter DNA. And I'm like, oh, really? Maybe you should keep up. And I sent her the study that came out a few months ago out of Sweden showing that DNA definitely is being reverse transcriptase is a thing that everyone seems to have forgotten that literally takes mRNA and puts it back into your nucleus and reprograms your DNA. And they have proof of it with the COVID vaccine and hepatic cell, human hepatic cells. And I, so I sent that to her, but I mean, like, that's just so constant, right? With everything we're trying to share is, I think their agenda is like, just exhaust them. If they can just exhaust us and quiet us down. But I, I love that you're making a documentary and you're continuing to persist because I will not be exhausted and I will not shut up. Oh, I know. <laughs> the crazy design of it is you you can it can trickle down and then you have they have the minions doing the work for them. Like this personal trainer you're mentioning, this person is not part of the agenda. They are just hoodwinked into furthering it. And it's the mouthpieces. Yeah, it's the vegans. It's like, oh man, it's the useful idiots. I love that term. It's the useful idiots. It, it trickles down to them and they do it. And I have family members. I got uninvited to Christmas because I didn't get the jab. And so it's just like, it trickled all the way down to my family. So they they were just basically doing the agenda yep. themselves. That's their minions. That's how they keep it going. And they all have the same script, right? I mean, they all literally parrot the same exact mm -hmm. nonsense they're hearing on the media, which really leads me to believe like how my friend said it so well. She goes, I used to think I was like medium smart, but now I realize I'm really smart. <laughs> And I don't know if it's that I'm actually really smart or people are just really, really dumb because how are these so many people getting bamboozled? It's like clear as day. And we have so many studies showing now. And even, I mean, even the government, oh shoot, Biden got diagnosed today with COVID. I mean, come on, like the gig, the jig is up, right? And we know this isn't working and yet they just have to change their tune to their new parroting, whatever the media is going to feed them to parrot out. And then the bots that they put all over social media that people read and believe and then parrot that. And it's like, what kind of brainwashing, this leads me back to the point is a food. Like what had to have occurred in the past few decades for people to be this easily brainwashed and bamboozled? They clearly had their heads hijacked with the food supply. I, I think it's all connected and it does lead back to the deliberate dumbing down of America too. Well, just your previous point about how is everyone so dumb? And yeah, I'm like, uh, I thought I was just, you know, decently smart, but I'm like a genius compared to <laughs> what the society has become. But uh, no, I, I think it does sound super conspiratorial when you say they're trying to dumb us down in the food. But, you know, the more I look into it, maybe there's something to it. And uh, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just so bad. It has to be on purpose where it's like, if if they're pushing, if they're still pushing the fake foods, the fake oils, fake meat, all this stuff, like it's it's got to be about more than money, and it's just too big, right? To to just be about some companies making some money, it's like too well coordinated. Like it just goes to the top, and well, yeah. To to get to the food part more too, because we've been talking like really high level, but I love to talk about the food stuff. Is yeah. I think that there is such a big difference between real foods and processed foods. And again, that's kind of the essence of the film. Like I'm very pro meat. I'm very pro animal foods and pro regenerative agriculture too. We need to talk about how to raise these animals correctly. And just, I think that, that like what you eat is so important that it can change your intellect. It can change your your immune system or give you an autoimmune disease. It can raise your IQ. It can lower your IQ. It can change the shape of your face. 
you know, Weston Price figured this stuff out a hundred years ago, looking at the difference in nutrition in people eating the native living diet of whole foods and animal foods and liver and milk and raw milk and, you know, just these great foods filled with fat, saturated fat and cholesterol. And they had wide jaws and they didn't lose their teeth and they uh, developed normally and they were, uh, they could resist infections. And then the people eating these processed foods, just even those same three things, the added sugar or, you know, high fructose corn syrup, the grains, refined grains and the seed oils, as soon as those came into their diet, their health tanked and they were more susceptible to the infections and they had shorter heights. They had messed up teeth. They had dental caries. They had all this stuff. People don't realize how important what you eat is. And it's interesting. I think part of it's because you can eat a McDonald's and it's not going to kill you right that day. That's the thing about food. Some things, if you get exposed to something, it's, it's going to make you sick immediately, or you're going to get you know, some lasting repercussions. If you eat food, you're, you don't just immediately die or get sick. So I think that's part of the problem is people just go along eating the processed foods and it, it never really hits them that that's a problem. Does that make sense? Like it's, yeah, it, it's like, it, it's this slow, sneaky thing that happens over the course of a year. Like you need to look at the course of a year. If you look at a diet, say, if you look at my diet and I'm eating, you know, all kinds of animal foods and healthy fats and I'm eating oysters and a little bit liver and fruit and whatever, some sweet potatoes, whatever. This is the nutrients, just call it like a 95. I'm not saying I'm perfect. If you look at someone's diet that just, you know, kind of just eats, oh, they eat some bread and pasta and they just, you know, it's not like they're obsessed with fast food or eating like you did with the chips and the cheese, but just someone who's just eating a, a like food pyramid diet. There, when you actually look at just the pure science, like you look at the nutrition, you look at the bioavailability, you look at the foods and you add up the nutrients, it could be like 45, 50 compared to a 95. So, so I'm saying it's like, it's not like if I eat a pizza once, it's not going to kill me and it's fine because the other 364 days I'm doing well. And people just don't understand that it's such a slow process, and but it's so important in what you eat that it can make that much of a difference over the course of a year. Oh, it's everything. It's the nutritional density of your food. I, I go for high payoff, you know, and I, if I choose something that's low payoff, I know it. I choose that. It's intentional. I know it. And I'll, my husband's seen me many times take a bite of something and literally just go to the garbage and spit it out before I swallow it because it wasn't worth it. It did not taste good enough to justify the low nutrition, like a piece of cake or something, you know, something yeah. that was, people would crave. I'm like, oh man, that chocolate cake looks good. And I'll put it in my mouth and it, I don't even get the right mouth feel from it. I'm like, well, it tastes fake probably. <laughs> yeah, it tastes terrible. He was noting, I've gotten him since I met him and moved in right at the beginning of the pandemic. And um, I got quarantined here and I've got him on my food now. I got him on my diet. And I, he's like, man, when he eats stuff that is, cook somewhere else outside of the house or in bad seed oils or has chemicals in it, he can taste it now. And whereas he couldn't taste it before. And I think that's an important point to make is your taste buds acclimate, right? To these mm -hmm. highly processed, highly palatable foods that are set to set off a bliss point in your brain. And with that magic combo of sugar and fat and salt and people don't realize how shitty and like it, it tastes like a chemical shitstorm to me. And they can't mm -hmm. taste it anymore because they've acclimated. Like that might be all they've ever eaten. I Yeah, I know. I, I was there and I thought I couldn't change too. That's also a problem too is you think, oh man, but this is what I do. It's like I eat Pizza Hut on Fridays and I do this and that's what I do. And you got to shake your shake that out of your system and realize that, yeah, it might take a little effort to change, but it's still going to be just as satisfying when you get to the other side. If that makes sense, right? I mean, yes. The, the journey might be a little rough because you have to go from these fake hyper palatable foods to real foods. But then once you get there, like you're saying, it's amazing. You're, you feel way better. You're just as satisfied. And it's actually better because you think the other food tastes bad. Then you realize that that chemical taste is like, oh, that is gross. So I just like to throw that out there to people too, just to know that the transition might be a little rough, but that when you get to the end, it's amazing. <laughs> I love that. And I, I want to, I want to definitely double down on that. Cause I know I can't keep you here all day. I could talk to you all day about this. Um, what do you, 
how do you share with people? Cause I, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And so I'm just real blunt with people. I'm like, Hey, you got to change your diet and this is why, but I'm not terribly empathetic about it, to be honest. Cause to me, food is fuel. So if someone's got a habit that's killing them, I'm just straight up telling them that, right. <laughs> it's like, we got to get you off the sugar or the whatever. How do you, since you're more recently a convert to this, like how, what's some advice that you would share on how to get people to start eating in a more healthful, nutrient dense way? Oh yeah. And I do actually work with Dr. Gary in Los Angeles. And I, I never even mentioned that, that I do sort of like in this food space and health coaching space and work with patients. Cause I actually want to know, you know, what works and what doesn't. And I learn a lot by working with patients and yes, it a lot of it is psychological too, or it's just even dealing with human dynamics and personalities, right? It's like, I guess it's kind of your question. How do you do it? And one thing I like to tell people, I think there's like this soup, there's, you need a long-term, medium-term and short-term goal or feedback and, and in mind, because you need all three of those or you're not going to stick to it. So you, if you just have this long-term goals, like, oh, you want to be healthy when you're 80. Well, that's just too long. You can't, no one's going to change, but you need that medium term. Like, okay, well you want to like look good for your vacation in three months or like something like that, or you don't want to die from COVID because you're like obese and diabetic. So, you know, that's a three month goal and you even need that immediate goal. Like, Hey, you're going to feel good at 2 PM when everyone else is falling asleep or when you used to feel terrible. So that's one thing yeah, you, you, you know, people, you got people got to have those goals. And another is just a more logistical, practical thing is just get people to get the most processed, eat the same diet. Take what, what foods do you like? Right. You think of, oh, okay, I like this. I like that. Whatever it is, just, there's going to be a portion of that. That's going to be processed. It's going to be bread. It's going to be pasta. It's just going to be something that's not good. And it's going to contain seed oils or fine grains or something. If you could just replace that, with more meat. That's like it. I could just say, it's like, Hey, take a diet. You have your preferences. I'm not going to try to be like, okay, you have to eat salmon. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to make all these decisions for you. Take your diet. There's going to be whole, there's going to be some pro, meat or fish and eggs. There's going to be some whole foods. There's going to be some processed foods, push out the processed foods with more meat, more protein, more, you know what I mean? Like that can be the simple switch that someone can make today and it will change their life. If you do that for a month, that changes the whole nutrient density of your diet. Like I was saying over the course of a year. So if you're, so some people are walking around at, in the forties, you can go up to like a 65 just by doing that. So. I love that. Yeah. That's super helpful. I noticed for me when I, this is just a side note, I was always a really skinny kind of malnourished kid and young woman and adult woman. And I've only recently filled out if you will. And I, I love it, but I was always cold and I was always tired. And if I just bump my protein up a little bit, even if it's just one or two extra eggs or three or four more bites of steak, that cold, that chronic cold, like the kind of cold that your bones hurt, you know, that hypothyroid cold mm -hmm. that so many women have. And I know so many listeners can relate to this. It's like, it's so cold you hurt, even in warm weather. That went away completely when I switched to a heavier meat-based diet. I don't, especially when the seasons change, I don't shut down as much as I used to by any means. And then uh, the fatigue is really overcome nicely with extra salt and extra meat in my day, just throughout my day. If I'm tired now, I'm like, go take some electrolytes or some salt and go eat some meat. And versus like, I got to cram down all the adrenal support and do all the things. And it's, it's really what, just what you said, just adding in an extra portion or a few bites even of protein. Yeah. And the replacement it's, yeah, it's a replacement you're adding too, but some people need to replace because they're eating yeah. bad foods, right? Yeah. You're, you're probably not eating all these packaged foods. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. <laughs> Right. It's not rocket science, people. This is like, we're, we're training for life here. We got to get through the zombie apocalypse. And then the second thing I would ask is, uh, where can people find you and how, like, tell us all the things. When is yeah. the, the film or even the preview, your Instagram, everything? Yeah. Food Lies. You can just type in anywhere and you, you can find Food Lies and I'll be on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The intro is on YouTube. Go to Food Lies. It's my main video up there. So you'll find it very easily. Three and a half minute intro. I'm telling you, just watch it. You'll get it. Like you're like, oh, these guys. Okay, they're up to something. This is this is some quality stuff. Uh, the six part series. We're trying to finish it by the end of the year. Trying to get it on Netflix. I mean, these things take time, so it's not going to be out until next year. But we're 
desperately trying to finish it by this year. And you can support us actually on Indiegogo. So on the foodlies.org page, you can just search for Food Lies. You'll find it. It links to the Indiegogo. Because I'm telling you, it's just, it's me and, and me and my buddy. Like we're doing it. It's not easy. Because usually Netflix, they'd have, you know, million dollar budget, you know, multi-million dollar budget and huge team to produce something like this. So we need I that. will make sure that that is in the show notes because everybody needs to go support this. This is beyond just your great efforts of what you're doing. This is such an important message. And we're seeing such a degradation of culture right now, I think, in the world. And definitely an evil agenda takeover is happening. And not that's not a conspiracy. And I think that our nutritional status, I you know, I joke about it and I call it the zombie apocalypse. But if we want to make it through this, we we need to have all hands on deck and we need to all be healthy and vital. And that really is comes down to the foods we choose to put in our mouths and the lies we choose not to believe. I think food matters most. Yes. Food matters most. I mean, it's like, yeah, I don't want to go into another spiel, but I've seen people do all the right things, but still eat the wrong food. They're not doing well. There's there's people in like Micronesia, Tonga, doing all the right things, outdoor working, you know, getting sun. They're doing all this stuff. They're eating bad food and they're obese and diabetic. So just, mm. yes, food matters most and let's build our community. I think that the societies are splitting a little bit. So you got to be on the right side of society. There's a society that's turning into Wally world and they're going to be riding around on rascal scooters in the next 30 <laughs> years. And then there's people who would be, who are out there raising animals, chopping wood, strong, healthy, you know, which one to choose. My husband is currently chopping wood and moving hay bales around to build a fence so we can get the cattle. So we're, we're on it. I told him, I'm like, I need blueberries. I need cows and blueberries, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I it. can't live without my cows and blueberries. And he was like, all right, I got you. <laughs> so, I love oh, well, Brian, this was so fun. I'm so glad you came on the show and your podcast too. remind everybody what that's called again. Oh yeah. Peak human. Yeah. It was number one in nutrition last week, actually. Hey, yeah. that's big. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I love it. You have a great audience. I got so many followers after being on your show and I can't say that for every podcast I've been on. And it was it's just such great people. They were like, I found you on Brian Sanders show. Mm. And so you got good peeps on your show and I, I got good peeps on my show too. So everybody go follow him. And uh, I hope you'll come back, especially when the movie's released. I will do everything in my power to support this and get the word out and share all about it because I think this is critical information. I'm really glad you're doing it. All right, thanks so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.